the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. In our previous Challenge 2.0 episode, we examined the interconnection of activism, faith, and the media during the turbulent era of the 1960s. We revisited the faith and hope that lived in so many, perhaps expressed best by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who said, only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. Fifty years later, it is evident that the injustice, prejudice, and alienation remain. That reality brings to mind another statement by Dr. King. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. So in this episode, we seek to examine what lessons can be drawn from the 1960s in confronting the challenges of today. When we as a society struggle to be true to the principles expressed on paper, in the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Challenge 2.0, activism, faith, and the media from the 1960s to today. At this time, I'd like to welcome our three panelists for this episode of Challenge 2.0. First, Father William Tracy, who accepted an assignment in 1944 to move from his native Ireland to Seattle on what he was told was a temporary basis. 68 years later, that temporary assignment surely must have been one of the longest in history. Father Bill accepted a re request to participate in a television program called Challenge. Its purpose was to promote interfaith dialogue. That program, of course, is the foundation for this one. That program was also the beginning of the Tracy Levine Center, dedicated to promoting understanding, bridging divides, and building relationships amongst people. He has written numerous books, including Wild Branch of the Olive Tree, which he co-authored with his co-panelist and the founder of the Tracy Levine Center, Rabbi Raphael Levine. Rabbi Ted Falcon was ordained in 1968, served as a congregational and then a campus rabbi, and went on to found a synagogue focusing on Jewish spirituality. In 1993, he and his wife Ruth moved to Seattle to found Bet Aleph Meditative Synagogue here. He retired in 2009, of sorts, to allow more time for writing, teaching, counseling, and interfaith work. He holds a Ph.D. in psychology. Rabbi Ted is one of the interfaith amigos, together with Imam Jamal Rahman and Pastor Don McKenzie. Together they have authored three books, and some separately, by yourself. Their first joint work is titled, Getting to the Heart of Interfaith, the Eye-Opening, Hope-Filled Friendship of a Pastor, a Rabbi, and an Imam. And our third guest panelist is my former colleague, Mike James, who had a celebrated 33-year career in radio and television journalism, most of it at King TV, as one of the two lead news anchors. For those of us who worked with Mike, and I should mention I had the honor of doing so for many, many years, uh, we knew him as a highly skilled and conscientious journalist with a skill of placing contemporary issues in perspective a model of what other journalists strive to be and many still strive to be. Mike's passion for and sense of community led him to be a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 1994. This is the second half of what we started in the prior episode. We were talking about that age of unrest and activism in the 60s, the relative influence of faith communities and the media. 
we're going to go ahead and roll that forward. But before we do, uh, it seems that some of those same issues that we thought had largely been settled in the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s are emerging as anything but settled now. Have we, in your sense, retained the progress we made 50, 60 years ago, or have we regressed? Mm. Whoever would like to tackle that first. You know, um, with all of these issues, the challenge for the United States, for America, is to sustain what you've gained. I think that's the, the we talked about the 60s before, but that's the test of this, this new century. Is to sustain, I, I scribbled a note here. I said, it's undeniable that we made progress in civil rights in uh, gender equality, voting rights, but it's, the, it's sustaining those because there's always the undercurrent of opposition mm -hmm. that's existed that, uh, you know, in our uh, optimistic moments, we think that's gone away. But, but look what you have. You have uh, uh, the Starbucks incident recently where people refused to serve and actually asked the two African-Americans to leave. You have the police shootings that we've known about over these last few years. The baker who won't bake a cake uh, for, for two people who happen to be uh, uh, gay. Uh, so all of those issues, and, and then the uh, voting rights issues with respect to African-Americans still mm -hmm. uh, all out there. So the big challenge, I think, uh, here, this is the year 2018 and going forward, is not only to uh, renew our emphasis on, on the, these rights and expand them, but to sustain uh, and protect uh, what we've developed uh, in the 60s and up to now, mm -hmm. a big challenge. It seems to me that uh, there was clearly progress. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, the, the marches, the voting, the, All of you know, the, ac mm -hmm. the actions actually had positive <clears throat> consequences. It seems to me, though, that what has happened reflects the fact that the changes were made in the outer world rather than in the inner world. Mm -hmm. There's something about consciousness itself that didn't change and that really wasn't appreciated, you know, how significant that was and the fact that that hadn't changed as much as we had hoped. And it seems to me that what's happening now in the world is calling us to focus not at the expense of the outer, but to realize how the outer is an expression of what we're carrying yeah. inside. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to deal with it, it's why spirituality, it's why the work at uh, Camp Brotherhood and the Tracy Levine Center and the work that you pioneered here is so critical. You know, it's why I spend so much of my time in interfaith activities and interfaith dialogue. It's mm -hmm. like every, for example, every religious tradition, every spiritual tradition talks about a universal, but models separateness. Mm -hmm. And we uh, learn from modeling rather than from what we say. Uh, uh. And what's, it seems to me that what we're seeing is a radical need for an inner transformation yeah, yeah. that in fact can support the mm -hmm. changes we seek in the outer world. My Bible book, Factfulness, has a quotation. I'll read it to you. It says, the current lack of knowledge about the world is the most concerning problem of all. Mm -hmm. So there was a glimmer of light this June when our president met with the head of the church of the country, North Korea. That's what we need, people to people. I went on a people to people tour to Russia. We had 
people from different professions and it was programmed ahead of time that we'd meet people from our profession. So I was fortunate to be taken to Zagorsk, the greatest monastery in Russia, and have an audience with the abbot and talk about things. That abbot later on became head of the whole ch Russian church. I was invited to Kremlin by Gorbachev. But here was a, here was a, a very simple fellow from Seattle having an, an opportunity to talk with the head of the church in Russia. So I see the need, as, as that book points out, we get to know other people. 75% of ordinary people are doing their jobs. We don't hear about them, but we need to talk to them. And we have the same interests, the same concerns, the same pains, the same sorrows, the same joys. And that's really what faith is. It's the root of that. Before we have religion, we're human beings. And that's why up at the camp, we had this uh, governor from Afghanistan. He was invited here by the government. He spent a day with us. When he was leaving, he came over and put his arms around me and said, you and I are always going to be friends. <laughs> I didn't try to make a Christian out of him. He didn't try to make a Muslim out of me. We just made us human beings. And that's what we need is to get to know people as human yeah. beings. We can yeah, live in peace. Gonna, you know what the, the, the rabbi said uh, about it, the, the change within is the crucial change. Mm -hmm. uh, just one anecdote that I remembered from the 50s, 60s. After Brown versus Board of Education, you know, there, there has to be no racial discrimination. It has to be integration of, of, of education. Uh, a lot of uh, districts in the South simply closed their public schools. Mm -hmm. The law changed, but their attitude did not change. Mm -hmm. They simply closed public schools so they wouldn't have to integrate. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's the within that has to change over time. Mm -hmm. You provided the seed of that, but let me ask uh, more directly, how do you go about doing that? How do you change that inner? How do we do that in 2018 right now? I think that's the central question. It is. Um, part of it, as uh, Father Tracy said, is seriously getting to know the other person beyond the slogans. Mm -hmm. it, we dehumanize each other so easily and forget that even though somebody's under a banner of, say, conservative or liberal, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of nuances. Everybody's different. It's like, what exactly do you mean by liberal? What exactly do you mean by conservative? What do you mean by evangelical? What do you mean by progressive? You know, it's like it is critical and crucial mm -hmm. to find ways of talking to each other as human beings, to share with each other our stories rather than to try to convert each other to our points of view. The other thing is spiritual practice. And I, I think there's no way to get beyond the confines of our ego, of our separate self. Mm -hmm. Always defensive, always watching, what do I have, what do you have, how are we doing, how's the other guy doing? Spiritual practice is one of the ways, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through study, whether it's through song, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through actual community action, like Habitat for Humanity builds. Yeah. Some, some way of really supporting that the opening of the heart mm -hmm. so that we start to realize that, hey, <laughs> the life that awakens within me is the same life that awakens within you. 
the love that I experience is the same love that you experience. You know, it's not the yearnings I have mm -hmm. for, for a, a loving family, for a loving community, for a peaceful place. This is what we all want. Seems to me that today, the one thing we share is discomfort with the other. And I think that can, in fact, be the focus of our conversations. Mm -hmm. Like if we can share with each other, you might have uh, discomfort with me, I might have discomfort with you, but let's talk about be having discomfort. Let's talk about being afraid. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about being in some state of despair about what's happening in our country and what's happening in our world. And I think that can help galvanize. Yeah. So I think conversation, I think spiritual practice, and I think action in the world are needed. You know, the, Jeff, that is the essential question of, of the time. I was thinking while the rabbi was talking about it, you mentioned that I was a political candidate in 1994, and I can remember being in the Senate lunchroom uh, talking to people, and there were Democrats and Republicans eating, having coffee, chatting with each other. They had obviously different political views on many things, but they were there at the table talking to each other. Very rare to see that in 2018. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about this a little later, but um, boy, it's a great challenge now with, the, with um, what's happened with media. Because now you can retreat into a, a media foxhole where you hear mm -hmm. one particular point of view and you never hear any other. And you have no desire to reach out because those other people are fake news or, or whatever. Uh, so what you've put before us, Rabbi, uh, to find a way to talk to each other again, I think probably, you know, we thought of the Internet as a way we'd all have information and all communicate with each other in a better way. It has actually worked another way. And it's, it's made it much easier to be divisive yeah. and, and to draw lines and, as I say, fall into information foxholes. Uh, that's the great challenge of our time, I think, to, to, get, to find ways to get past that. Yeah. Well, the challenge of communications is to know about other people. You ran for Senate in 19, what year was that? 94. 94. Do you know that about that time, 1997, 42% of the people in India and China lived in poverty. Do you know how much it is today? 12%. So we don't, this is how we need to keep in touch with what's going on in the world. Yeah. The average person doesn't hear it's a good communication is to, matter of fact, that book that I told you about factfulness says our brains are product of evolution. Early primitive times, when people came up against danger, didn't stop to analyze, it took off. So there's that tendency today to not stop and analyze whatever the problem is thoroughly. Mm -hmm. The word discernment in religion is a very important word today. We have to do it to ourselves every day. We have to do it to what we hear about or try to find out about the world we live in. We're talking about connection, seeing people as not others, but as part of the continuum of what we belong to. With the way the media has become fragmented and is speaking out, I was reminded by uh, the story of when CBS News first turned to profit. They were popping champagne in the CBS newsroom in New York. And Walter Cronkite said, you know, be, what, be watchful what you celebrate. Because he said, this could lead to bigger problems than perhaps leading to a better financial foundation for that. 
Can we achieve these ends through the media that we have today? What changes do you think we might need to make? And can we lead that as individuals as opposed to people actively within the media? Well, one thing I would look for is a national leader who doesn't make as uh, fundamental of his operating philosophy to divide us. Um, one, of the one of the things that's, that's so fundamental to, to the current administration is to, is to have disdain and to undermine the fourth estate uh, reportage and news challenge to things that are said and done by the administration. Uh, but the other, uh, the other issue uh, there is, where's the modeling coming from? I mean, in the United States of America, the fourth estate, the courts, uh, governance, elected officials, these are all integral parts of how we, we govern ourselves. And to, to simply call anything that's critical of yourself fake news, which then convinces many other people living in their foxholes, silos of information, uh, oh, that's fake, we don't have to believe that. It's the most authoritarian kind of thing I see in this administration, and not to get political here, but it's the undermining of institutions that could be challenging to the point of view that comes from the Oval Office. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fundamentally dangerous to who we are as a country. I saw an example of that recently. Congress, Mike, that <clears throat> up to recent times, legislators have stayed in Washington. They got together and socialized and talked to each other. I have to find what we have in common beyond our political differences. So that's missing, I agree with you today. Yeah. And I think it was Roosevelt said, the president in America has to set the standard for what we believe. Uh, that's one of the things that I think we can discuss without becoming political. It doesn't matter what political position he has, he represents what is best in America and has to stand up for that and promote it. You know, it was Carl Jung who said, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. And it seems that the real challenge is when we protest, we have a tendency, and it's like in the women's marches, mm -hmm. uh, really looking at the signs and feeling the energy of a lot of people yeah. is a great deal of anger and a great deal of upset. Well, when we meet anger with anger, mm -hmm. we create more anger and we don't solve problems. We might feel good, you know, that we're being heard or, again, it, go, it comes back to what's the consciousness with which we are operating in the world. We have, as the head of our country, a remarkably adept um, media person who is able to suck all the attention away so that we hardly hear other stories. So we argue against him and we fight against it, but that makes more. I mean, it's clear that even during the nomination process, mm -hmm. the attacks fed it. There's gotta be a different kind of response. There's gotta be a response that's more heartful and says, okay, look, I totally disagree with this guy. I totally disagree with a lot of what's happening in the country, but demonizing him and demonizing those who are in agreement mm -hmm. is not gonna help. Yeah. It's just not going to help. I'm sorry. I, gotta, I have to learn to open myself in a different way and approach. The means and the end have to be in alignment. If what I want is a more loving world, if what I want is a more respectful 
society and culture, I have to come at it that way. Yeah. But I'd like to pick, take up what Rabbi said. A group of people that impress me for what they're doing to promote unity, understanding in the world. Mm -hmm. But two years in a row at Camp, at our, at Camp Brother at our center, we brought preteens from Palestine and from Israel mm -hmm. so they could get to know. Think of the parents that we need to send their children 10,000 miles away to get to know others so that they can be friends instead of kill one another when they grow up. So that's the kind of spirit that we need. People reaching out to people to get to know each other. And, and uh, they shared personal feelings about their hearts and their pains while they were with us for a week or two weeks, having meals together, playing together and so on. This is what we need yeah. more of in the world, bring people together. Yeah, change, change doesn't, it doesn't come from a single source. It doesn't come from a court decision. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes, if you want change, it doesn't come from a march in the street. It comes eventually from decisions being made that, that, that move that change. So you need a lot of allies. Uh, the, the young people who did the March for Our Lives about mm -hmm. gun violence, have we seen any change in law? So how do you sustain that? Who are your allies with that? How do you change opinions so that uh, laws might be able to change? You know, it, in, in some ways it all boils down to a sense inside that leads people to vote in a certain way. Uh, our old uh, president at King Broadcasting, Ansel Payne, he used to say the whole foundation of the American system of democracy's future is a fully informed citizenry. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we haven't talked about education here, but uh, uh, I won't go further with this, but that's got to be one of the keys going forward, plus modeling at the higher level that doesn't divide, but does the kind of thing the rabbi mm -hmm. was talking about. You, what you might expect in a president and a national leader is to find a way to bring people together. But with the extremities now uh, being the driving force in primary elections, uh, the way to govern is to play to extreme bases. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing more of than, than and, a and leader really, who says, yeah. I want to embrace all of us and bring us together. And it, that kind of leadership doesn't exist right now nationally. Yeah, that's but a big challenge for us. The, 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 our leadership is a reflection of the energy that, that gave him the office. Yeah. It seemed to me that a radical change happened when Obama came into office. When we, you know, a lot of us felt, wow, this really is a sign that it's racism is dead. Yeah. You know, that we've really transcended that mm -hmm. separation. Well, lo and behold, it proved to be the exact opposite. Exact opposite. It, yeah. it, it uh, stimulated reinvigorated a, a racism that was deeper than many of us even imagined and led to a Congress that started a polarization process, you know, where people decided it doesn't matter what he wants, mm -hmm. we're going to vote against it. I think that the current situation was taking root years ago with that kind of polarization and that kind of demonization. And the I mean, it still is a wonderment to me that people didn't see it or didn't yeah. go, wait, this is not government. Mm -hmm. where, where are all the voices? What I'd like to do is just for each of you to paint a brief picture of education in terms of how we can move people or get people themselves to move beyond these sorts of very quick uh, knee-jerk, if you will, reactions. What we tried to do that 
in a Catholic church to our schools and colleges and universities. So that we can all, they're not exclusively Catholic because we may learn Catholics and others go, but we're realizing the base of religion and true Americanism go together. I insist that the young people know that we're endowed by the Creator with unalienable rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's a religious statement. And that's the foundation of our education, our schools, great schools, colleges, and universities. That's how I, I see the approach. I think we're um, becoming aware of the lack of civility training and education mm -hmm. in our system. Uh, the Me Too movement, the recognition again of the unequal treatment of women, the recognition of the unequal treatment of minorities in our culture, all these are positives when they lead to a deepening of dialogue and a deepening of conversation. We have a tendency of wanting to solve for those who are in need what we think they need rather than bringing them into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Some of the dealings with homelessness, you know, for mm -hmm. example, we who have homes are trying to fix it for those who don't have homes. Well. It's like, hello, we got, we got to bring them into the table. Some of the food programs, for example, rather than those of us who have food doing, offering food to those who don't, it's bringing in so that those who are, offer, uh, those who are uh, putting together the food and offering it, some of them have homes and some of them don't have homes. Mm -hmm. So that people who really don't have also can have the capacity and the feeling of giving we need voices, voices of people that are watching this program to enter this, not only the discussion, but the very concrete steps that each of you have offered to give us a sense of where do we move here. And also I hope we'll be able to get more of your voices on this because this is a discussion that needs to continue. Long. The, uh, the clock tells us we need to wrap right now, but I thank each and every one of you out there and certainly here and hope you will join us again. Thank you very much for joining us. This is Challenge 2.0. Uh, tune in next week for the next episode. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this program, please give us five stars and leave a review. If you can also tell one friend about the show, that would be great. You can find us on social media at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more and financially support the show at pathstounderstanding.org. The program is hosted by executive producer Jeff Renner. Produced by Tom Butterworth and John Sharifi. Cameras and audio by Rich McAdams, Tom Butterworth, and Dean Puccia. Ian Olson is the production assistant.